We're going to start reading in Mark chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. You can just follow along with me. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Uh, Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Uh, For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Uh, And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And so they kept the matters to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you so much that you or a God who speaks, that you reveal yourself to us um, because you want to be known. Um, but you, you also want to know us. You desire a relationship. And so, um, Lord, thank you um, that your word is living and active, and even now you are speaking to us through it. And so I pray that you would be with us, that you would be helpful that you, by your Spirit, would really work. Help us listen. Help us think. Help us see what you would have us see in this passage. Um, I pray that we would worship Jesus, that we would long for him, and we ask these things in his name. Amen. Uh, it was it was really late. It was really late. I was awake, and I wanted to go home, okay? I wanted to go home really bad. It was one of my, it was probably one of the first times in my life uh, I spent the night with a really close friend. Uh, I, I might have been six, and I still, I still remember the He-Man poster that, that was like on the ceiling wall next to my face just staring me down. And, it, you know, and I was a big He-Man fan. I mean, I had He-Man underwear, okay? I mean, I was for real. I was. And so, but the poster was creepy. I'm going to keep it real. Like, I mean, some of those characters are really creepy, especially the monsters and stuff. And so, anyway, I'm sitting there. I'm staring at that poster. I just want to go home. The poster really is not why I want to go home, but it didn't help. Um, and so, there's only one thing that was inevitable. And it was inevitable. The long walk of shame to my friend's parents' bedroom. It's awful. The knocking to wake them up. It's like 1 a.m. Followed up by my six-year-old voice saying, I want to go home. That's it. It didn't take a lot. It's not a lot of words, but it's a very important set of words for me. I want to go home. You know, like I was longing for home, you know, the safety, the comfort of home, and my ducktails comforter, 
uh, you know, I, like, I, I wanted to see my parents' face. I just wanted to be at my house. And, uh, and so the longing wasn't going away. Like, I laid in that bed for a really, really long time trying to, to man up because i got to walk to the other end of the house. Uh, and, you know, I think it's interesting because we, you've probably had a real similar experience. Like, we all long for things. Um, you, you know, there's like that really relentless desire, like, deep inside of you. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, and we seek kind of to satisfy this longing through all sorts of things, like art, competition, romance, achievements. Um, I mean, the deepest part of you is longing for something. Every human being, I would argue. Uh, it will long for something whether we know it or not. Sometimes we're longing for things and we can't even articulate what it is that we long for. Uh, C.S. Lewis, I'm sure some of you know him. Anyway, he was a brilliant, um, a brilliant atheist professor for most of his life, actually. Uh, he didn't become a Christian until he was like in his 40s. Um, anyway, he wrote an essay titled uh, The Weight of Glory. Uh, and in this essay, it's amazing. He's actually got a book called The Weight of Glory. You should read it if you like to read. Um, in, the, in the book, he describes, C.S. Lewis does, he describes this longing, like our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we now feel cut off, right? Um, to be on the inside of some door that we've always felt like we are on the outside of. Does that make sense? Anybody ever felt that way? You know, you kind of, you, you understand that? Um, I think we know this longing that, that Lewis is describing. Um, but yeah, I think we've all felt that distance that he's kind of painting a picture for us. Um, well, in Mark 9, the, the short passage we just read, we're going to get a, like a, a foretaste, like a peek at what C.S. Lewis and others say all of us are longing for. Uh, he wasn't the first, he wasn't the last. And what they say we are longing for is the, the very face and embrace of God, right? And so, so we're going to talk about two things. One is the preview of glory, because that's really what we're getting, just a preview of what's to come, uh, what's really there, right? We're getting a preview of glory, and then we're going to talk about the path to glory um, in this passage. And so... Let's think about the preview of glory. The passage, if you remember, it starts out with Jesus saying to his disciples, it's really interesting saying. He says to some of them, like the ones who are standing with him at that moment, some of them would not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come with power. What in the world? Uh, it's a really puzzling statement. A lot of people kind of interpret it all sorts of ways. Um, but I think Mark, the author, makes, I mean, he makes it pretty clear. I think, um, a clear connection between what Jesus says in verse 1, right, and what Jesus experiences starting in verse 2, uh, which we know as the transfiguration. If you've been around the church, you've probably heard that word before. Um, none of us really know what it means, but we've heard it, right? Uh, and so this transfiguration, it does a couple things. One, we're going to talk about is it exposes... Jesus' identity. Like, he exposes who he is. Uh, Peter and his two pals, these three dudes, which are like the, the inner circle, if you want to think of it like that. They, were, they probably spent more time with Jesus than anyone, uh, these three. 
uh, they get a glimpse of who Jesus is. Like in this moment, they get a preview of his glory. You see it happen in the verse 2. Look at the end of verse 2. It says, Jesus was transfigured. And then it talks about his stuff, like this radiance and it changing the, the kind of color of his clothes. And it's just kind of coming out of him, right? It's crazy. Um, you know, it had been six days since Jesus told them they would see the power and glory of God's kingdom. And they are seeing it at this moment. Actually, what he was talking about. Um, and so here's a question for us to think about. Well, what did they actually see? You know, they're like, well, they saw something. Well, what was it? You know, what is a transfiguration? You know, it's like, is that going to happen to you? Like, can we go get some of that at Walmart? You know, like, probably not. Uh, some good questions to think about. Essentially, what they saw is Jesus' glory. Um, Jesus' true nature was kind of made visible. Like, Jesus allowed them to kind of see behind the veil for a moment. But even then, like, even that right there is really, I mean, like, it's really hard to define. Like, it's really hard to describe. Like, we know those words, but we really have a hard time understanding exactly what that means. Um, it's, it's really hard to kind of use, if you think about it, finite language, like limited intellect to describe something infinite. Um, it, it's really challenging to, to describe Jesus' glory. Like, what does that mean? Like, glory, what is that stuff? Um, well, these guys are seeing something no other human has ever seen, right? And they lived, which we'll talk about more later. They actually lived. Uh, they, they saw, we're going to try to describe what they're seeing. They saw his power, his majesty, supremacy. Like, they saw his perfection, his deity. Like, they see it all for a glimpse, for a moment. Uh, they saw Jesus as he will be after he is resurrected. Like they get a glimpse of what that's going to be. Um, they saw the Jesus who has always existed and the one who will return to restore all things. Right? Uh, they saw God face to face and they lived um, to tell about it. Uh, they also saw something else. It's really weird. You're like, that's, that's plenty, right? I think that would be plenty for me. Well, they also have these two, like, gnarly dudes show up. Um, and, and these two guys, Moses and Elijah, that kind of show up on the scene, they kind of continue to help us understand who Jesus is. Like, they really kind of actually bring a lot more to the table. Um, you see it in verse 4. They appear, they're talking with Jesus. Uh, Moses and Elijah, just in case you're kind of new to the Bible, are these two really, really kind of, I mean, great characters of the Old Testament. Um, and they're talking to Jesus about his departure. We know that from some of the other Gospels, um, which is essentially like his death and resurrection. Like that's what they're talking about. They're having a conversation about his purpose, about his mission, right? About what he can do that no one else could ever do. Uh, and here's a summary of the significance of this scene in verse 4. Uh, one... Jesus is the fulfillment of every promise in the Old Testament. I'm sure some of you have heard that. Like the entire Old Testament is leading to, is going to culminate in Jesus. Uh, the other thing we see is Jesus is greater than them. Like Jesus is actually greater than Moses. Like he's greater than Elijah. Um, at one point, if you go back in your free time, 
Uh, I'm sure you got plenty of that, right? Uh, if you go back sometime in your free time and you go to Exodus where you get a ton of like Moses' life, um, I, I think it's Exodus, I don't know, it's the 33, probably. Anyway, there's a scene um, where Moses' face shined, okay, after being in the presence of God. It's like, I don't know what that means. It's probably not like Twilight movies in the book. That'd be weird, like the diamond thing. Um, like Moses pointed to, what he, he pointed to the glory of God. Like he reflected the glory of God. But here in verse 3, we have something very unique that no one else has ever done, especially some human being. Um, Jesus radiates. So you see that word, the radiate. He's radiating. Okay? Like he radiates the glory of God. It's, it, the, the emphasis there is like it's something coming from the inside. Whoa. It's something coming from the inside. And so here's what I want you to think about. Maybe help us kind of understand this. The world around us points to the glory of man. Okay, everywhere. Um, Buddha, if you're familiar with him, uh, Buddha points to the glory of the way, right? Muhammad points to the glory of Allah, okay? Jesus isn't pointing to anybody. Like, Jesus isn't pointing to the glory of God. Like, he is the glory of God. It's a very, it's a very important distinction. In fact, if you, there's tons of passages, but one, like Hebrews 1, verse 3 says this about Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact representation of his nature. Like, essentially what's happening is Jesus is God. That's what's going on. And so Peter and the other two disciples, they, they see Jesus' glory. God's glory. Um, and, and we have a longing for that. You do. I can just look on your Facebook and tell real fast. Like, I can hang out with you. You could hang out with me. Like, we, we, it doesn't take long to see that we are a people longing we're longing for what they saw. We're longing for what they experienced. Um, but too many times, if I think if we were honest, we, like we settle for counterfeit glories. We love counterfeit glories. Uh, like, for instance, our career path. You know, like we think, man, if I, if I get the right career path and I land this job, like that longing for glory will be satisfied. Our social circles, you know, if I got the right friend group, Right, homies around me, that, that longing for God's glory will be satisfied. Our GPA, our hobbies, our recreations, I mean, we could go on and on and on. Um, how many likes you get on Facebook, right? How many likes your selfie gets on Facebook? It's great, I hope you get 100,000. Will, it will not satisfy the deep longing for the face and embrace of God. Because that's really what you want. Um, and so the next thing is, so it exposes this whole transfiguration thing, right? It exposes Jesus' identity. It also exposes some insecurity. Um, so continuing the story, the, the transfiguration happens, okay? Peter's reaction to what he is seeing is really, really revealing. It teaches a lot, I think, about ourselves. Um, like, like, here's a good question. Like, Jesus just saw, I mean, no, no. Peter just saw something no one else has ever seen. Why isn't he excited? Why isn't Peter like, what up? 
Like, that was awesome. You know, like, just really pumped. Like, he's not excited. Like, he's not. He is terrified. Um, he saw something, like, incomparable, life-changing, yet he is terrified. You see it in verse 6. And here's, I think, why. Uh, and I think the Bible supports this. He's afraid because he knows, Peter knows, he doesn't belong there. Like, he's freaked out because he knows he does not belong. That there is a, a barrier between them and the glory of God that is extremely kind of insurmountable. And so Peter is probably not only just aware of like that reality because he's feeling it in the moment, he's also, just in case he forgot, because he forgets things like me, um, he probably remembers stories too, like the one in Exodus 33, where like Moses literally asked God to see his glory. And God says, no one may see me and live. Right? That's crazy. Um, one pastor says, when God told Moses, no one can see my face and live, he was saying that there's an infinite gap between deity and humanity. Like, you can't take my reality, is what he's saying. Um, you can't endure the presence of my holiness and my glory. Like, it would destroy you. Like, it was a really kind thing that, that God was like, look, Moses, I understand, but you will explode. Like, you will just vaporize. It'll be wild. Um, and so I love you, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you in the cleft of this rock, and I'm going to pass by, and you can see my backside. We don't know what that means, but that's what he said. Uh, you can see my backside, like, uh, cab, whatever. I don't know, but it's a crazy scene. Go read it, Exodus 33. It's wild. And so, so Peter is, like, terrified for a good reason. He understands the distance between mankind and God. And so this is where things get really interesting now. Peter, James, and John did not die. Like, they, don't, they didn't even, like, they didn't, like, just see Jesus, like, in all his glory. The, this cloud kind of descends, which is like God the Father, right? Kind of descending down and just kind of envelops them, envelops them, whatever. Tomatoes, tomatoes, right? Um, like, it just kind of envelops them. And they lived. They lived. Which is, which is wild. Like, they lived. And so, that brings us to, like, the next point. It's like, okay... That was a preview of glory. Well, then, what is the path to glory? Um, what is, how do we get there? Like, what gets us the glory we long for? Verse 9 answers the question. Verse 9 is actually the answer. Look at verse 9. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Here's the big idea in verse 9. The only path to glory is one of suffering. Like, the path to glory is the death and resurrection of Jesus. Like, he had to come off that mountaintop, guys, and continue his journey to the cross where he will suffer. And so the, the transfiguration isn't like an escape from the cross. Like it's, it's really a preparation for it. Uh, and the consequence of the cross 
is even greater glory. Is even greater glory. And so weakness, shame, and suffering will be the path to glory for Jesus and the path to glory for us. Um, and this is really, it's like one of those things, it's like, really? This is like hard. Like, this is really hard for us. Uh, we want, like, we want glory without the cross. Like, think of Peter in verse 5. Um, we don't know, we don't know his motive. If you look back at verse 5, we don't know his motive for sure. You know, when he was like, hey, so let's just hang out on this mountain for a while. I'll build you some tents. You know, with, okay. Like, we don't know his motive, we don't know what he was thinking, but one assumption behind this plan that he was going to launch, right? One assumption would be, like, let's stay on the mountain because there, there is no need for suffering and shame. Like, the kingdom and the glory we long for can come without it. It's just this assumption that we can, the path to glory doesn't have to involve the cross and suffering. It's just kind of an assumption. Well, Jesus, and, and what's amazing is, like, I get this. I feel like Peter sometimes. Like, Jesus just told Peter in Mark chapter 8, like, just six days ago, you know, um, that he must suffer for the sake of the world. And if we follow him, like, if we follow Jesus, um, you know, we're, at some point we're going to share in his suffering. Uh, we're going to share in his suffering, which is not what you want to hear. It's not what I want to hear. Um, because we naturally avoid suffering the best we can. And that's not bad. I'm not telling you, hey, go out and suffer tonight. That'd be stupid. But um, we do. We naturally just kind of avoid suffering. And, and we do it without even really knowing it, which is interesting. We do lots of things without knowing it, actually. Um, I mean, think about this. The decisions you make, like think about the decisions that stress you out. Like they stress you out a lot. Um, Often, are, you know why you're so stressed out? It's because you're, you're trying to avoid suffering. Like, you don't, want, you don't want to suffer. I mean, okay, let's take an example. Dating. Um, some people don't want to commit. Dudes, especially. Uh, all of them, most of them. Like, dudes don't want to commit. And, uh, and here's why. Here's why. It might cost. It might cost some freedom. It might cost some friends, like that, that bro time. It might cost some video games. It should cost you some video games. Um, you know, like, if, what, what if, I, like if, I, if I date, if I commit, man, I'm going to suffer in some way. That's how, that's how dudes feel sometimes. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to suffer. I'm going to lose my friends. I'm going to lose my video games. It's going to be terrible. Like, we're going to suffer. We're going to suffer relationally, right? So then you've got the dudes that are like, they man up. They commit. They're freaked out, but they do it. They commit, um, but you know what? They're, they're scared of suffering, too, because they know relationships are hard. And it's going gonna, it's gonna, to, like, you're going to suffer relationally because it's hard. And then you got some guys, there's a couple of you, get married. Whoa. Real men, right? It's awesome. Um, but before dudes get married, you know what? I know this because I have these conversations. I was this guy. That's my wife. God bless her. Um, should, should I marry this person? Like, how do I know? You know, a lot of times why we're so freaked out about that is because what if I marry someone and then I realize, man, I'm, I don't really like her. You know, or like, well, we're incompatible. And guess what? I'm going to have to suffer relationally. Like, I'm going to have to suffer socially. 
Like I'm gonna have to like work. I'm actually gonna have to work at a relationship. Whoa, it's gonna like it's gonna. Whoa, I'm gonna have to do something. Like see, it's that. I mean, we can go on and on and on. A lot of times, we like struggle. We stress so much because what we're trying to do is avoid suffering. You know, um, I have guy friends. They're like, dude, I was so nervous about getting married because I I wanted to wait till I was 35 and have a million dollars saved up. Because you know what? They don't want to get married and be broke at first and suffer financially. Right? And so they push it until they're 43, which I don't know if the ladies like that. I don't think they do. Um, and so anyway, the big idea is, like, we could have fun with this. We could go on for a long time. Like, and actually, whoa, connect things to suffering. Like, we try to avoid that. Uh, but it's all around us. Here's the thing. Jesus said we're going to experience it. We're going to experience it in all sorts of ways. Um, and following him is going to lead, I mean, at some point, it's like if you follow Jesus, like it's going to lead you right into some suffering of some sort. Um, I mean, and a lot of times you have nothing to do with it. It's very passive. Like the world didn't like Jesus. Like the world still doesn't like him. And so you're associated with him. At some point, somebody's probably going to reject you. Like it's coming. That doesn't mean you need to go out and be a jerk, Right? But it just, you identify with him, it, there's some cost. Like, it's, it, it, you, you, it's going to cost. But Jesus also, like, suffered actively. Like, if you think about it, what did he do? He came off the mountaintop. Like, he entered into suffering. He, he actively, pers- like, he knew he was going to suffer. Like, he suffered for those in need. He hung out with people nobody liked. He chose to do really difficult things. And he did it. And so when he came off that mountaintop, he was actively going to die. Like he was going to die for you. For you. He was going to die for me. It was active. Like he made that choice. It wasn't like he slipped and died. It wasn't like just some people kind of like stepped out of the, the, the scene and just killed him. No, I mean, he, he chose to die for you. Like he entered into that. Um, and so, if you're following Jesus, at some point, you should and will suffer because you're identified with him. But you're not just going to share in his suffering, and I wish we had more time to talk about this next thing. Like, you're going to share in his glory. Like, I don't think we think about that enough. That's kind of what they got a taste of right here. Like, they're in his presence. Like, they're hanging out with the Trinity. Don't even ask me to explain that. Will can. Um, like, they're hanging out with the Trinity. It's amazing. Like they're sh- and and they're 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 alive, like they're sharing in His glory, and they're going to do that. We're going to do that for those of us who follow Him. We do that forever. We're going to share in His glory. Um, so I opened up with the story about calling my parents. Right? You want to hear the rest of that? So after going, I, I did the walk of shame, and I'm there. I can still see the floor. So after going to tell my friends' parents I wanted to go home, it was the battle was only half over, right? Because I had to call my parents. Oh, I had to call my parents to come get me at 1 a.m. Um, this phone rings, and it rings, and it rings. Please answer the phone. It's ringing. Then my mom answers the phone. Hello? She probably didn't sound like that, actually. She goes, hello? And I said, y'all ready for this? Mom, I want to come home. It was pretty good. I, I didn't sound like a grown man then. But I was, Mom, I want to come home, which would be really weird if I did that. Like, Mom, I want to come home. That would be weird. Um, 
And she said, and then her response was, everything okay? Natural, good response, right? Everything okay? Yeah, mom. And then she goes, all right, I'll be right there. That was it. We hung up. And then I, I got my stuff. I already had my stuff, actually. <laughs> but I was, I'm walking home. I don't care. I'm, I'm scared in the bedroom, but I'm not scared to walk five miles home, whatever. Yeah, I'm a man. And so anyway, um, I, I just, I'm just standing there, staring out the window, watching, waiting, hoping, please, Mom, get here. But I'm also a little scared. I'm a little afraid because I had no idea what to expect. Like, what, what, what's Mom going to say? Is she going to be disappointed? Is she going to be mad? Am I going to be, like, shamed? Am I going to feel guilty? And I just stood there thinking about it. And I'll never forget getting in, like, I think it was, like, this old, y'all probably don't know what it is, but it was an old blue Chevette. It's, like, a really old car. It was really, it was blue. I remember, and I remember getting in the car with my bag. It's, like, a little luggage bag that said going to grandma's. Um, I remember getting in there, and I remember, I remember seeing my, it was awesome, dude. Don't laugh. I ran away with that thing one time. That's another story. That's another story I'll tell you. Um, and so I remember seeing my mom's face. I remember seeing my mom's face. She was not mad. She wasn't disappointed. And I'll, I'll never forget, she, she just kind of gave me this like completely unconditional welcome. I can remember this. I can still feel the seat. I can still see the, the, the dashboard. Um, and, and it was as if she said, she might even said something like this. She's like, Brian, she's like, we all get homesick sometimes. And I was like, man, Mom, you're awesome. And so I just remember thinking, that's amazing. And, and I think we all get spiritually homesick. I think you feel that. I think some of you are feeling that really, really, really just intensely right now. Like we just get spiritually homesick. We long to see the face of God. Because here's why. This is, going, this is really simple, but it's, I think it may be profound. God is home. And so we, we are spiritually homesick. Like we're restless until we're with him. Um, and because Jesus came off that mountain in verse 9, trust me, you are glad he came off that mountain. He came off that mountaintop and went to the cross. You and I, we can go home. Like, we have a place at home. Like, Jesus is able to give us what no one else could deliver. No other human, no other person, a ticket home. Like, he was able to give us a ticket home, I mean, uh, to the very presence of God, where we are only met with unconditional welcome for those who trust in him. And so my prayer is that you see Jesus, that you see him, the one who came off the mountaintop for you and went to the cross. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you so much um, for your unconditional welcome. Thank you so much for your son who gladly died for us, who gladly lived and loved us, and who continues to rule and to reign for us even now. And so, Lord, we just pray that, that you help us see him, help us rest in him, maybe even for the first time tonight. I pray in his name. Amen.